it really came from a concern for the community. At that time, we had just lost a 300, 325 member coal mine. So we sat around the table for probably the better part of a year and said, what can we do to change this? And at the same time, we were also dreaming big. This is episode 314 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Colorado communities have been busy over the past few years, and that includes the folks in Delta and Montrose counties. Back in June, while Christopher was at the Mountain Connect event, he sat down with John Gavin from Delta County Economic Development and Brad Harding of First Colorado National Bank. Both are on the board of the local electric cooperative, the Delta Montrose Electric Association, or DMEA. DMEA is involved in developing its infrastructure to bring high-quality connectivity to members. They're also exploring new uses for their infrastructure that involve innovations in the electrical generation and storage field. In this interview, Christopher, John, and Brad talk about the impetus behind their infrastructure project, funding, and how the co-op members helped drive the project by showing up and expressing their need for broadband. Learn more about the Elevate project at dmea.com. Now here's Christopher with John Gavin and Brad Harding from the Delta Montrose Electric Association. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm still in Vail, Colorado. Not as you're listening to this, but as I'm recording it uh, at the Mountain Connect event, one of my favorite broadband conferences in, in the nation. Today, I'm sitting here talking to two folks from the Delta Montrose counties of Colorado. Let me introduce you to John Gavin, president of Delta County Economic Development. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Chris. Um, It's good to be here. We'll be talking, I guess, today about some fairly interesting local efforts that Delta Montrose Electric has made in the broadband space and also in the uh, uh, renewable energy distributed generation space. Very interesting and fast-moving sectors that we really have committed to play a role in. Yes, and I've been wanting to interview you. You are indeed doing some very interesting things. And one of those, Brad Harding here, president of First Colorado National Bank in Peonia, uh, is going to give us some of the background on some of that. Welcome to the show, Brad. Well, thanks for having John and I. We really appreciate it. Brad, um, let me ask you to just start by describing, as a a fifth-generation Peonian, as I understand it, uh, what is the Delta Montrose area of Colorado like? Number one, the area is beautiful. Um, It's remote. We're a long way away from uh, interstates, probably 70 miles roughly, but also geographically diverse, um, semi-arid to uh, almost mountainous. Um, They're rural in nature, for sure. Um, For instance, you know, Peonia is a town of uh, around 1,500. Um, The county around 30,000. Montrose County is a little bit larger, but you're talking about a population in the two-county area around 75,000. In general, the uh, population is a little bit older than state averages, roughly 10 years older. We're about 12,000 per median household income, lower than the state's average, and we're about 50% less educated when it comes to post-secondary education. Agricultural-based, government jobs, education, and healthcare. Um, It used to be uh, dominated, um, next category was coal mining jobs. Um, which we've lost a lot. We've lost about six to seven hundred um, during the last number of years. 
for people who are longtime listeners, we've interviewed uh, Virgil Turner, I, I want to say at least once, maybe twice, about what, what was happening in Montrose City. And that's uh, a part of the city. They've been very involved in this in this project. Um, and, and maybe I can turn back to you, John. Um, if you want to describe briefly, um, and we'll go back into how we got here, but what is DMEA doing right now? And for people who aren't familiar, DMEA is Delta Montrose Electric Association. It really rolls off the tongue, and so people can sometimes not realize it's even an acronym. Um, but um, DMEA, uh, what are they doing now? Well, first of all, DMEA is a rural electric co-op, so it's member-owned. So we have traditionally had a very close relationship with our customers who are also our members. So we have spent a lot of time listening to what people are asking for. And one of the main issues that came up in the last few years is um, better high-speed broadband. So being an electric utility, DMEA had a lot of capabilities in terms of people, poles, infrastructure, trucks. So we, we looked hard at the possibility of entering the um, fiber broadband space and solving this lagging problem that had really been dogging us for years because none of the large investor-owned telecom companies would find it profitable enough to come and build in this sparsely populated rural area. Just to give you an idea, you know, Delta County alone is the size of Rhode Island with population density of about 22 people per square mile. It's quite low, and uh, it's a reminder of how big these western counties are, and also quite inaccessible, as I understand it. I haven't, I haven't been out there quite yet, but one of the things that's remarkable about its beauty, as I understand, is mountain ranges that are difficult to build utility poles on. Yes, that's very correct. You know, luckily, we had a lot of infrastructure already in place serving our members with electricity, so we've capitalized on using that infrastructure, the poles and the conduit, to advance our broadband program by stringing our fiber on that existing infrastructure. And Brad, before we get into some of the history of this, I want to just ask you one more general question, which is, um, as a president of a bank, we've had a few presidents of banks on before, but remind us why a bank cares about broadband and things like that. Oh, it's just raising the standard of life and the quality of life in a community like that. And then also, we're a commercial bank. We're a business bank. And uh, uh, broadband through the years has become just integral, instrumental, a part of the daily life of really every business. Um, so it's absolutely important that our you know core areas of our communities, every downtown, every core, has viable service so those folks can reach out beyond the area and actually generate revenue and bring it back to the community. One of the things that uh, rural America has really struggled with through the years is uh, we're really good at uh, giving to corporations you know, the talents that we have, whether it's our, our, our kids that leave um, or our, our resources like natural resources, maybe it's even fruit. Um, they're extracted and they leave the area and too often not, the profit from that doesn't come back. So having companies that actually can call that area home that are headquartered there that employ you know an inordinate amount of people compared to other companies is exactly what we need. And if you don't have high-speed internet, if you don't have broadband capabilities to do that, those businesses can't survive or thrive in those communities. And you are both now members of the board of DMEA. Yes. Correct. I have a picture in my head of how something happened, and I want you to fill in the reality, but I'll just paint the picture that I had, which is, I'm sure, oversimplified. And um, I learned about this several years ago from Diane Cruz, a consultant with NeoConnect, who I believe was working with you. And um, my take on it is that um, the community was looking for large investment in high-quality internet access, uh, fiber-based 
They went to DMEA. DMEA said, ah, we don't really think that's our thing. We're not going to get involved in that. And then there was a, a big meeting, and DMEA changed its mind. Is that, is that an accurate thumbnail sketch? And maybe you can fill in some details, Brad. Yeah, I, I think it is accurate, and I'll do my best to fill in details. Really, the genesis of this effort came from, from many people. And you mentioned one of them, Virgil Turner, who, who's been on the show many times, it sounds like. Um, that's a pioneer of broadband, and he really brought a lot of vision about what was possible to this area. But I'll go back to kind of Delta County economic development, and John and I were both parts um, or members of that team at the time. It really came from a concern for the community. At that time, we had just lost um, a 300, 325-member or employed coal mine, um, Oxbow, shut down. And uh, those are high-paying jobs, Chris. Um, they're, they're good jobs. Um, they have benefits. And uh, to lose 300-plus from that one closure was tough on the area. And there was you know, threats that Bowie Resources, another coal mine, would be doing the same thing. As a banker, I'm sure you can tell me more about this, but it's not just 300 jobs, right? Because that reverberates through the local economy. Chris, you're exactly right. Those are direct jobs. We haven't even talked about the indirect jobs or a multiplier effect that would be attributed to that type of a, a business, but it's a major business. Um, and you're exactly right. When uh, one day you have a 60, 70, 80, $90,000 job plus benefits, we're talking six figures, and you lose that, obviously uh, defaults on personal residences, um, you know, consumer loans, uh, businesses, the, the entire community suffers and, and all the way through it trickles through the entire community. The county suffers from, you know, decrease in revenues, um, the local municipalities, it can really be felt. It, it really impacts the school district as well as you start to lose students. And, and unfortunately, the state, uh, how funding works at, at the district level is, you know, it's you get paid per pupil that sits in one of those chairs. So the entire county was kind of reeling and there was nervousness. So around the DSED table, we'd really focused the previous years on putting the right people at the table. Elected you know, officials, influential folks, people that really had a lot of care for the community. And you just said DSED, which is... Uh... Delta County Economic Development. Right. Thanks. So we sat around the table for probably the better part of a year and said, what can we do to change this? And in some ways felt a little bit helpless. Um, at the same time, we were also dreaming big. We had a, a big vision for the area. We want. We knew that Delta County, what it really benefited from, and Montrose County is a much the same way, is a wonderful local food movement, healthy water, beautiful area with wonderful views of the West Elk Mountains, the Uncompadres. Um, in Delta County, we'd also talked about how can we become, you know, completely self-reliant when it comes to local energy generation. And the last one was how can we bring in world-class broadband? So that's really where it started is how can we fix these things? Well, a few of them we thought were in place, the food, the water, the views. Um, but the one that we didn't know how to tackle right away was the broadband and also the local energy generation. So we took on broadband first. And it didn't take us long to figure out what John already said earlier, is that the large incumbents weren't going to meet this uh, this need. And even the local telecom company, we, we had conversations with them, and they weren't willing to do that. Their assets were really largely fixed, fixed assets in a copper-based system that they weren't going to improve upon. So then we reached out to some of the other community assets, and one of them is Delta Montrose Electric Association, DMEA, and uh, had initial conversations. We, have, first of all, took on an approach of kind of just a visit with certain board members and staff to see if there was an interest. And uh, at that time, there really wasn't. Um, there was a lot of nervousness. There was a new CEO at the time that hadn't had a great experience um, with a broadband effort from a previous location. This is maybe 2013-ish, I'm thinking. 
probably the visioning may have been 2014 from yeah. DSED, but the effort to really talk to the Delta Montrose Electric Association leadership and board, that really started in early 2015. So maybe there's 12 or 15 rural electric co-ops doing it then. There really weren't that many at that time. It's picked up since then. Right. You're exactly right. So, so what happened, Chris, and I think you're mostly correct in this, we reached out to uh, the local folks and saw that we weren't going to get any, anywhere there. And then we really said that uh, it's time for us to be maybe a little bit louder voice. And one of the nice things about the Rural Electric Co-op is uh, during every board meeting, the public can reach out and attend. So we, we reached out and said that we were a small group of people who were going to come originally. Um, the idea was 10 to 15 kind of influential, mostly elected people in the two counties would attend. And during that time of reaching out to those 10, 15 people, the list kept growing. You built a mob. <laughs> we, we, it really did. And it, it wasn't uh, proactive at that time. It, it just really took off from there. We talked to a city official, a county official, uh, maybe some of the sheriff's department. And we found out that they were like, absolutely, we'll be there. And may I bring someone else? Or have you talked to this person? So fast forward over maybe just a few week period, uh, a targeted list of 10 to 15 people grew to 72 who actually attended that November 2015 meeting. And this is something I really want to just note because the number of people that I've talked to who are served by electric co-ops who have told me, I talked to my co-op and they said that we couldn't do it um, and, and then felt that that was the end. Um, you're the ones that have, have had the most inspirational story in terms of say, taking that as a starting point and not an ending point. And so I just want to I just want to highlight that for people as you're talking about this, like you organize people just to come out respectfully to explain how important it was. And this is something that I really hope we see repeated. But but you can definitely tell us what's coming next. Yeah. So, uh, again, just to finish the thoughts on that, that meeting, um, when we arrived, uh, I think uh, the DMEA staff leadership and the board were probably a little surprised who was there. And well, sorry, I'm just going to keep jumping in and interrupting yeah. you, I guess. That's what I do. Uh, <laughs> so my understanding is I, I'm more of a city boy, um, but um, at these meetings, um, um, they're often, if you're 70 years old, you might be on the younger end. Um, like the, 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 As I understand it, among rural electric co-ops, it's just younger folks tend not to attend these meetings or, or be as interested. Yeah, that, that is correct. And uh, maybe you asked that question because uh, I, I'm, I'm on the younger side. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at that time, probably was uh, close to 40 years, 40 years old, um, which is only young in Delta County. But uh, it is. <laughs> but uh, you're exactly right. But this group of citizens that showed, showed up were, were very, very involved in the community and have passion for the community. And it didn't take long. Uh, I emceed that event, but really, if there's a who's who in Delta in Montrose County, which is kind of funny to say, the who's who was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the right people spoke articulately, intelligently, with passion. Um, and that meeting probably lasted an hour, an hour and a half. And afterward, um, you know, the, the, the DMEA officials, staff, board, um, it sent a very, very clear and strong message. And it really became an agent of change from that point on. Brad, as you were saying earlier, though, this isn't just about internet access. There's also an, an additional component in terms of local energy production. So turning over to John now, um, what happened in terms of getting that moving forward? Well, interestingly, uh, DMEA has long had an interest in developing local generation. So we've developed three small in-stream hydro, hydro facilities that provide, you know, six to eight megawatts of local power. Um, but we bounced up against a uh, 
contractual limitation with our wholesale power provider where we had a contract that said we could only develop 5% of our load locally. So we essentially got to that point. And this is important because, you know, we're looking at local generation not only in terms of, you know, it's now cheaper in many cases, but, you know, every year we send $42 million across to Denver, Colorado to pay for our wholesale power. If we could source more of that power locally, you know, we'd keep that money in the economy. We'd provide jobs and construction and operations. I would think that also, just right now in Colorado, you cannot ignore the fact that there are dangerous fires. And so you'd also have more rely, or more of a sense of reliability in the event that the worst thing could happen between you and where the energy is produced. Exactly. And very importantly, Delta and Montrose counties are very unique. They have wonderful natural resources in terms of local energy. Um, we've got quite a few hydro, small hydro opportunities. We have the largest flat top mesa in the world right smack in the middle of Delta County. And millions of acre feet of water fall off that mesa all year long. Capturing some of that potential energy and just turning it into electricity would make nothing but sense. 300 days of sun. And that, I was just going to get to that. Um, when you look at the uh, irradiance factor for Delta County, it is almost equivalent to Phoenix um, Arizona, because we are higher, we're cooler, so solar uh, utility-scale solar projects perform better in this environment than they do in the hot southwest. And we've got so much open public land um, and land available for uh, things like uh, you know utility-scale solar that it just makes sense. And it's also important to keep, when you develop that power locally, you have less demands on your infrastructure. You don't have large transmission networks that cost, you know, many millions of dollars to maintain and construct. It's right what the mission of your organization is, local self-reliance, um, taking it to the nth degree when you have both broadband and your power source more locally based. One of the challenges that a lot of rural electrics are facing is declining demand. And I'm, I'm curious, given the, the I know that, that you've had challenges in a variety of ways, but it's still such a desirable place to live. Colorado's population is booming. Uh, what, kind of, what kind of demand is your co-op facing? Yeah, we are not unlike many other utilities. Our demand has declined with the loss of two underground coal mines. We lost 20 megawatts of load. So right now we're about 100 megawatt peak load. Um, that is staying relatively stable. Um, because very importantly, since we deploy the Elevate Fiber product, we're starting to see it stimulating the economy. We have a number, you know, I've met many location-neutral employees who have left jobs on the front range of Colorado because their employer said, if you can prove that you have 25 megabit service, you can work from home anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so they've moved out to this beautiful part of the country, you know, to have their little piece of paradise. Unlike the hideous front range. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, um, uh, I think it's just, it's important for people who are listening to the show to have a sense. I mean, declining demand is is a real big stressor. And so if if Elevate, the name of the the fiber product, Product that you're delivering internet access over as a co-op, if that's increasing demand, then that's just huge, I have to think, for the, the co-op's future prospects. Absolutely. We're a very progressive co-op, so we're also looking carefully at things like electric vehicle charging, and we are going to be doing some trials of charging technology. Um, we're also interested in the issue of energy storage to uh, couple with solar and hydro, and mm-hmm. we're looking at a small um, storage project. So we're really trying to stay on the cutting edge and watch where the energy market is going. 
Um, very importantly, the uh, wholesale energy market has really changed. Um, wholesale energy prices, you can buy, you know, 30 megawatt power on a 20-year power purchase agreement now, which is considerably lower than what we're paying our wholesale electric service provider, which is on the order of $78 a megawatt hour. So there's this big arbitrage opportunity that has happened where local generation with the falling cost of renewables, it's becoming much, much more attractive as an option to look at for part of your power portfolio. Listeners of this show are more familiar when we talk about federal agencies, the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, but you've been working with uh, the Federal Energy, Energy Regulatory, Federal Electricity Regu- Regulatory? Energy Regulatory Commission. Energy Regulatory Commission. My colleague John is probably laughing right now because he, he knows all this stuff down <laughs> cold. But FERC, um, which really is, is important for uh, interstate uh, moving of power, um, what's happening with you and FERC? Well, two, almost three years ago... Um, we capitalized on this old regulation called PERPA, the Public Utilities Regulatory Policy Act of 1978. Yes, yes, and I just I just wanted to throw out there. I mean, for people who aren't familiar, this is where we get net metering from. This has been um, this has led the, the 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 charge in many ways for alternative energies over the years. Right. It it initially was a rather arcane piece of legislation that many people had forgotten about. But we dusted it off and uh, filed a petition with FERC asking the question, does the PERPA regulation, which specifies that you can develop local renewable generation projects of up to 80 megawatts um, as what are called qualifying facilities? And we asked the question, would a qualifying facility um, take precedence over our wholesale electric service contract? And FERC came back and said yes. So this decision opened up an opportunity to develop local renewable generation outside of wholesale power contracts. And it was kind of an earth-shaking ruling that uh, was noted nationally. Our wholesale power provider then immediately filed a, uh, a protest. Um, it was initially turned down. Then they filed another request to apply a cost recovery charge on any qualifying facilities that we would develop. That too was turned down and a uh, request for rehearing was then filed, which has been sitting at FERC for two years now and we're waiting for the the final ruling on that um, request for rehearing. But this is a a big deal just to simplify it because basically previously you would have had to create a lot more demand to justify the creation of more local resources. Now you're able to build those local resources and and then you'll, you'll end up getting a little less power from your wholesale provider. Correct. We also almost are uh, looking to strategy where we use the wholesale um, electric provider as the battery. So we would develop local generation projects um, and ramp them up. But again, you know, you have seasonality, day-night um, issues like that. So having uh, the ability to source power in the wholesale market is also very important to build a very um, reliable and redundant portfolio. That's great. So um, I feel like while we're on this role of, of all the ways in which you're um, really making these great decisions that are benefiting the community and being forward-looking, um, one of the things that, that comes up around the country 
um, with the issue of, of coal mining jobs disappearing from everywhere or other manufacturing jobs that are disappearing is this issue of retraining. Um, a DMEA, as I understand it, you've made it a priority to hire people that had been in the, in the mines working. Yes. We, when we elected to build our fiber network, um, we subcontracted to some construction companies, local construction companies, to install the fiber. And one of these companies um, was very successful in hiring miners, coal miners, who had been laid off and retraining them in fiber splicing and fiber installation. And over time, they put over 60 coal miners who had uh, been laid off back to work. And those people were able to stay in town, keep their families in place, and not have to move to you know Utah or Wyoming or elsewhere for the next coal mining job. So it's been a tremendous, um, tremendously successful um, initiative and has had tremendous community benefit as well. Well, one of the one of the things that we've seen communities wrestle with in the past is that's been perceived as being more expensive to try to train people locally and um, and to get them. It's it's cheaper to sort of import workers from Arkansas. Seems to be a common state where people will will move to uh, some other part of the country for a few months, build the network, and then move back to Arkansas, get another job, move around. Um, but was there was there an additional cost to this that you're aware of? Was this just something that that local contractor did on their own volition? First of all, as a member-owned co-op, there are co-op principles, one of which is concern for community. So we made best effort to source the manpower locally wherever we could for this fiber build project. So working with this uh, subcontractor, we definitely encouraged them to use local resources. And it just happened that, you know, one of the underground coal mines had recently uh, shut down, as Brad indicated. So there were people available and ready for retraining. That's a lot about the the past and the and the good things that have happened and uh, some of the things that are rolling forward with the renewable local distributed energy. Um, but I, I, we haven't really covered exactly what Elevate's plan is. Is it every last person in the in the territory more or less? I mean, is that the goal with with a full fiber network? Yeah, that's the ultimate goal. I mean, it seems kind of brash and bold, but a uh, fiber to the home connection for every DMEA member. So we're on the well on that path. Um, launched construction roughly, gosh, is 18 months ago, and have 3,500 uh, users currently, and uh, continuing to build out around 250 installs every month, um, with a race to uh, to get everyone in the service area needs met. So where is the funding for that uh, coming from? How does something like that get financed? Um, I'm sure, you know, local banks uh, have some wealth, but you can't just write a check for, for the amount that must be involved. <laughs> Yes, we secured uh, special arrangements with two of the prime lenders in the co-op space to help finance this project. Um, we also, you know, DMEA, most rural electric co-ops have a very solid equity position, so we also did a lot of self-funding. Next, there's tremendous uh, grant opportunities, especially in the state of Colorado. We have a high-cost telecom fund, which is being repurposed now to support broadband construction in unserved and underserved areas. So we were successful in securing a $2.65 million grant um, this year to offset the construction costs in some of our more remote areas. 
Now, when you say equity, I, I think it's worth reminding people that uh, a, a cooperative organization such as yourself, I'd love to throw this to you, Brad. It's a, it's a money-related question. Equity is in the, in the, going to be in it. The, at the end of the year, um, the, the benefits, the, the profits are redistributed to the members. Does that mean that effectively members will get smaller uh, checks at the end of the year because more of that money is going into investment for the future? You're exactly right, Chris, that uh, you know, cooperatives are member-owned. And one of the unique benefits of a cooperative is that when the, uh, the revenues exceed the expenses, there, the expenses, there are margins. And those margins uh, can be re, you know, retained to support the cooperative long-term, or they can be distributed to the members over a period of time. And DMEA elects to do kind of a combination of that. Um, but John was alluding to the fact that because of that strong equity position, um, we haven't had to subsidize the uh, fiber build-out from the equity position of DMEA. It's a wonderful part of the story. But what DMEA has done is downstream some of that equity in the form of loans to elevate, um, to you know, launch the project and uh, elevate over time we'll repay those. Great. I don't know how much of, if any, of the counties are, are considered to be um, economically distressed by federal measures, but um, I believe banks have opportunities to get Community Revitalization Act credits uh, if you're helping to be part of a project that's uh, improving the prospects for those areas. Is that something that your bank has looked at? You know, it's a good, good question. I, I wish in some ways that we are of the size and scale to participate on those CRA type of programs. Most of those are big bank-related programs that get a lot of benefit for the award. We're uh, Colorado's, I think, fifth smallest locally owned community bank. And for the most part, that's not a part of our strategy to, to reach out with, you know, millions of dollars of funding for a project of this size and scale. But there are players in the state of Colorado that would benefit from doing those things, just as you suggested. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of great information. As we're winding down the show, what's the, the last bit of news that we want to share? Well, as I mentioned, we, uh, you know, we had our uh, success with the PURPA regulation, but now we're also looking at the possibility of buying out of our wholesale electric service contract. Um, and so that is an effort that's accelerating, and uh, we think um, offers another opportunity to allow us to source more of our power in the wholesale market and also locally. Are other electric co-ops following you? Are they watching you, thinking that they might want to do something? I've just I've had a sense that a lot of the the rural electrics are are pretty nervous about doing these sorts of things. Well, there is a New Mexico a rural electric co-op that has already bought out of its contract and is now implementing. Um, megawatts of, of solar. Is that Kit Carson? Kit Carson, oh, exactly. Yeah. We interviewed yeah. Luis uh, a oh, few Luis. months ago. Great, yeah. yeah. So we are kind of following uh, along um, somewhat a slightly different path than Luis did. But I think you're going to see the, the wholesale energy markets have become so dynamic. I think this trend will content, continue. Right. Well, thank you for being a leader in this space. And, I, and we're hoping that many, many rural electric cooperatives uh, follow your lead. That was Christopher speaking with John Gavin and Brad Harding from the Delta Montrose Electric Association. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. 
Thanks to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 314 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>